coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. Been a lot of uh, weather activity in and around Atlanta today. So hopefully wherever you are, you are safe and sound and uh, have come through unscathed. And uh, we'll hope for more of that as we expect. Well, you know what? I haven't checked the radar in a while. I just keep hearing the thunder from outside the condo. But uh, oh yeah, it looks like we got some uh, more activity tonight and overnight. So let's just uh, stay vigilant out there. All right. Speaking of vigilant, a story that I don't think is getting a whole lot of traction caught my attention when I'm uh, riding around showing out uh, houses to uh, potential clients, I like to listen to the two NPR stations we have on in Metro Atlanta. The uh, GPB broadcast from Georgia State University and uh, WABE, which is uh, owned and managed by the Atlanta Public School System. And I don't remember which one I, I heard this story about, but uh, it caught my attention and I, I thought it was worth discussing. Did you know that child labor is legal for as young as 12 years of age in agriculture? And I know what you're thinking. Well, that's so little Timmy can take care of his dad's cows and feed the chickens, et cetera, and so on. No, this isn't about little Timmy. This is about little Jose, little Jesus. Now, throughout most of the country, and I'm going to be skimming through this NPR article that I think accompanied the story that I heard, and I don't remember if it was 1A or here and now, I forget which show I was listening to. Under federal law, children must be, at minimum, 14 years of age to take on all but a tiny handful of jobs. And there are limits to the hours that they can work because they should be at that age in school, right? Makes complete sense. But due to a carve-out, according to the article, and I'll share this in today's show notes, with origins in the Jim Crow South, kids can be hired to work on farms starting at age 12 for any number of hours as long as they don't miss school. The article continues, and while children are generally prohibited from doing hazardous work in other sectors, there's an exception for agriculture. At age 16, kids can operate heavy machinery and perform tasks on at any height while working on a farm without any protections against falling, unlike the other industries. The Children's Act for Responsible Employment and Farm Safety. What does that spell? T-Care. Okay. T-Care-F-S. <laughs> There's always uh, an acronym, right? Anyway, the Children's Act for Responsible Employment and Farm Safety. Uh, the Care Farm Safety Act. There we go would do away with the double standard by raising the minimum age for agriculture work to match all other occupations. Raul Ruiz, the Democratic congressman from California, is one of the bill's sponsors. He says, we're not asking for anything more or above. We're asking for parity. The article continues. Margaret Worth, senior children's rights researcher at Human Rights Watch says current labor law creates absurd parallels where children of the same ages doing the same work aren't receiving the same protections simply because they're working in different sectors. She says, so for example, to operate a circular meat slicer at a deli, you'd have to be 18. But to use the same kind of circular saw on a farm, you could be 16. 
Employers in construction must provide protections from falling for workers who are performing tasks at heights over six feet. On farms, however, children 16 and over can work at any height with nothing to protect them from falling, according to Margaret Worth at Human Rights Watch. You would think this is a no-brainer. Oh, this bill will pass. Universal support, broad bipartisan support. But as the article points out, many versions of this bill have been introduced over the years. Representative Ruiz is taking up the mantle from another California Democrat. Representative Lucille Roybard Allard, who first introduced the measure in 2005. It's been 18 years, y'all. And repeatedly introduced it without success. This is an injustice for farm worker communities, according to Ruiz. Margaret Worth, Human Rights Watch, is hopeful that with the national reckoning happening around child labor in recent months, this time will be different. She says, I think it's just an issue of people not realizing that we still have these harmful carve-outs in law that allow this to legally be happening in our country, she says. I mean, we still live these carve-outs every time we set our clocks forward or move them back. That's, a, that's an agricultural carve-out. That's a societal agricultural carve-out. And by the way, that has ties to child labor too, as does our school calendar, which is largely set on an agrarian calendar. You don't think summer break was instilled in the 1800s and early 1900s so that you guys could all pile in the Winnebago and take off for vacation, do you? No, no, this was about maximizing child labor. And of course, the idea is very Norman Rockwellian. Well, it's about the child who is being raised on the farm, helping paw out. Little House on the Prairie style, you know? He's going to be behind the, 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 the manual plow that, that one cow was pulling like on Little House on the Prairie. So these carve-outs still exist in our society, aside from just these arcane laws that allow a meat slicer to be operated only by someone 16 years of age or older in a grocery store, but it's Katie Bar the door on a farm. School calendar, daylight savings time are other examples of where society is touched by these outdated agrarian carve-outs. Going back to the article, prior iterations of the CARE Act, see, I knew I had it right, were met with fierce opposition from farms or the farming industry. At a hearing last fall, agricultural policy attorney Christy Boswell, who grew up on farm and later served in President Trump's agricultural department, warned that traditions held families like her own, would be threatened. She said, my niece and nephews would not have been able to detassel corn at ages 12 and 13. Boy, I bet you they loved that. Despite their parents knowing they were mature enough to handle the job, said Christy Boswell in her testimony. It is critical now more than ever that our policies develop our new generation of farmers and ranchers rather than discouraging them. Ruiz, by the way, counters that his bill includes exemptions for family farms, which, by the way, are a rarity these days, to allow traditions such as passing farming know-how to children on the job to continue. He said exceptions were made to accommodate them. 
Margaret Worth, Human Rights Watch. She chimes in, says the idea behind this bill is not to keep the children and other relatives of farm owners from working and learning the family business. It's about protecting those who are the most vulnerable. Wait for it. Here it comes. These are Latinx children and their families who are working in the fields because they're living in extreme poverty. Aha! And that is why the farming industry is looking to protect these carve-outs in labor law to allow kids as young as 12 to work in farming. It's not about Timmy and Sally growing up on the farm learning how to herd little sheep, how to milk a cow, how to feed the pigs or call the hogs. I think of Cam from Modern Family. No, this is about the family that is sneaking across the border in hopes of getting a job on a farm where they can hide out pretty easily so that mother and father and maybe the 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid who is endangering their lives to get here from some war-torn or gang-riddled Central American country to come live a better life here, can all work together on a farm. That's what the industry is seeking to protect. And here's the thing. We all know that flyover America, rural farming America, tends to vote overwhelmingly conservative. But here again, and I point this out to conservatives all the time, if conservatives are ever serious about our immigration issues, well, first of all, they come to the table and bargain on policy. They don't. They think a wall's going to solve it. Xenophobia running rampant in their ranks. Just need a wall, turn it back, Never mind the fact that, as we mentioned last week, that because of climate change, like a third of the country from the equator coming up and going down is becoming uninhabitable, and people are having to flee those countries along the, the equator and heading north or south for more livable conditions. Never mind that. Build a wall. Keep them out. Not our problem. It's a problem of our making, but I digress. No, this is just another one of those situations where, again, conservatives, if they ever wanted to be serious about immigration, they'd stop fixating on the brown-skinned folks that are coming here and are here, legally or illegally, or trapped in the whole dreamer scenario. And they would focus on the actual criminals that are American citizens, the industry that hires them, whether it be the family farm, the pseudo-family farm, the small company-owned farm, the massive industry-owned farm. And I'm not talking about just levying fines. I'm talking about putting asses in prison. I mean, how do you do that? Anybody who is hiding that sort of illegal hiring, especially when it comes to kids, for God's sakes, you want to tell me you're pro-life? You want to tell me you're about the kids and protecting the kids? The, the the, the, The gun debate and schools, all that aside, These kids who are coming here, legally or illegally, they're kids too. If you're pro-life, they have lives as well. you got to get as noisy about law and order when it comes to 
lawbreakers who are doing the illegal hiring. I'll take your immigration position so much more seriously, right-winger, if you're going to start dealing with those who are breaking the laws and those who are protecting these carve-outs to perpetuate child labor because it's good for their bottom line when it's also sabotaging our immigration policy discussion. Anyway, I'm going to share that NPR article. I I just thought it was enlightening, worthy of discussion. We'll have that for you in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. Matt Gertz, Senior Fellows from Media Matters for America, will join us later to discuss the right-wing media pearl clutchery after the Trump indictments. I've got a beef with Target after I stopped by a store today. Um, Where's my stuff, man? And the new HBO show, The Idol, and its former show, Succession. There's a correlation between the two, and we need to be paying attention. All that to come. This is The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. So, I bought, a couple weeks ago, an area rug. I want to say it was like $149, something like that, from Target. I brought it home, and... It's kind of one of those, like, I looked at it, I looked at the area, and after I brought it home, I'm like, eh, this isn't going to work. So I took it back uh, about a week and a half ago. And listen, I am I am that guy. When I go to the mall, when I go to Target, I'm going in there to get what I'm going to get. I'm not wandering around and window shopping, et cetera, and so on. I'm not looking to see what else they have. I'm, I'm there to get my thing and get the heck out. So I don't really pay attention to what's up in Target. I just don't. I don't. So I go to return this rug, and it just so happens that I don't have the debit card that I bought it with because it got it got hacked or something like that. Uh, so they had to give me a gift card. Well, okay, fine. I, you know, I shop at Target often enough. I'll use it. So I got a gift card. I did pick up a few things, and I had a balance left over. So I get out, do my thing gift cards in the wallet. I stopped at a Target today needing to get a few more things. And because it's Pride Month and because LGBTQ pride and has been such at the forefront of the back and forth in political discourse and Target's been in the headlines a lot, it dawned on me today that as I walked into the Target in Midtown Atlant- Atlantic Station, like this is the heart of the, the, the LGBTQ community in Atlanta. I go into that Target and I realize, huh, I don't see any Pride merch as I walked in. Normally, it's first thing. If the Braves win the World Series, it's first thing. UGA wins the National Championship, that's the first thing you see. Uh, Black History Month, bam, right there as you walk in. It used to be like that in June. And it's been like that for years. So earlier this month, all the hysterics about what's going up in Target stores from right-wingers kind of caught me by surprise because I thought, you've been doing this for years. Why is this a problem for you all of a sudden? Well, there's been so much hysterics. There's been so much uh, violence, not just towards the merch and the displays, but even to employees trying to corral these idiots that Target doesn't have Pride merch in their stores at all. Now, I remember when this broke out, this this whole story broke out late May, early June, 
Target backtracked a little bit and removed some products from a clothing line that was tied to uh, a designer who was mocking folks who freak out about satanic stuff by putting out a line of stuff that mocks them in a satanic vein. I mean, it's the, the joke is lost on those it's targeted at, but they freaked out. And because there was some association with some of Tried's, uh, Target's merchandise, they said, okay, well, we're not going to carry that merchandise. But it didn't stop. It didn't stop the nuttery. It didn't stop the cacophony of idiots coming into the store and wanting to pee on or otherwise damage merchandise and put employees at risk of physical, uh, you know, violence as well. So we went from Target basically coming out with a ham-handed, well, we're just going to get rid of that stuff and we're going to move the displays so they're just not prominent to, I'm telling y'all, I walked into a Target today. Today is June 14th. It is smack dab the middle of Pride Month. I went to the Target closest to Midtown Atlanta. Atlantic State, you can't get more gayer than Atlantic Station Midtown. You, you, I mean, that's, that's the gay mecca. There wasn't one item of Pride merchandise in Target. And I'm not one that usually wants to go buy that kind of stuff anyway. I think I have a couple of things that I may have bought at Target over the last five, ten years or whatever that were Pride themed. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't do that very often. I don't wear that kind of stuff very often. Not that I'm ashamed or anything like that. I just, just, it's not what I do. It's not what I wear. Um, but there was not one item. Not a beach towel, not a tank top, not a hat, not a button, not a pin, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that's where we've come. And Target essentially let the rabble-rousers win. They let the noisy minority win the day, uh, the month, the entire month. So I'm left wondering what's going to happen next February. When Black History Month rolls out and the African-American-inspired merchandise makes its way out onto the floor, as it should, prominently displayed as you enter, as it should, and white nationalists and white supremacists and the Matt Walshes at the Daily Wires create the backlash like they did now, this month, but in February, aimed at Black History Month. What is Target going to do then? We've been really quiet about this. And honestly, it, it just kind of caught me off guard. I didn't, I, again, it's not something I look for. I don't go into Target and meander, and uh, I don't go in there purposely looking to buy Pride merch because I just, I just don't buy it that often. But I noticed now that quietly, Target didn't just withdraw a little bit, didn't just get rid of a line of merchandise. It's not in the store at all now. You can go online and buy it. Target, I can also do that by going on Amazon. And I'm not saying I'm going to boycott Target, but I'm sorely disappointed. Not going to lie, sorely disappointed. Because this is a victory, not just for the anti-LGBTQ movement. This isn't just a victory for bigotry. It's also a message received to zealots who may be anti-black, anti-Hispanic, when Hispanic Heritage Month comes around. That the same thing will net the same result. 
And I, I'm not going to predict that that's going to happen next February for Black History Month. But why wouldn't white nationalists do that? Why wouldn't they? Target's not going to hire additional security. They're not going to bring in extra police presence to quell this sort of batshittery. They're just going to quietly pull the merchandise, put it online, and hide it in the store, in the back room, where nobody has to see it. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? I mean, why wouldn't it? Why would Target react differently? Why would Target react differently in support of the LGBTQ plus? I'm very disappointed. I, I literally even asked an employee at checkout, like, you guys have no Pride merch in the store? She looked back to where the display normally would be, and she said, no, corporate told us to get rid of it. I'm disappointed. Highly disappointed. Back after this, more Rancho on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I said earlier this week that one of the principal arguments against the Trump indictments is the argument that, well, this is going to divide the country. Look what it's doing to the country. Marco Rubio, I mentioned this earlier this week. Marco Rubio, oh, what's this going to do to this country? He does this on Fox News, completely lacking in self-awareness, however, from the bootlickery and also being on Fox News. Well, here to talk a little bit about how that is a little bit like the, the, the tail wagging the dog in some respects is a senior fellow at Media Matters for America, Matt Gertz. Matt, thanks for joining me. You guys have had your eye on Fox News and Newsmax and the conservative outlets here and there, talk radio and, and columns and whatnot. Talk to me a little bit about how this is like that self, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that Marco Rubio and the like are talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean... Uh, Republicans and right-wing media have spent basically every waking moment since news broke that the FBI had searched Mm -hmm. Mar-a-Lago for those documents, claiming that uh, the probe was illegitimate, that Trump had done nothing wrong, and effectively poisoning the well Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, their supporters uh, about the results uh, of uh, the investigation. Now we've got this indictment come out. It's filled with really jaw-dropping details uh, about uh, what Donald Trump did and did do, didn't do. Uh, and now all, all they can do is, is point to the reaction of the people that they've been spinning up for the last, uh, you know, ten months. Um, If you go around saying that uh, a valid uh, grand jury indictment is actually the end of the American Republic, uh, then you can't be surprised when people uh, actually believe you. I think that's the situation that we're in right now. It makes me think of like a kid who knows he or she's going to get punished and threatens his parents with, if you ground me, I'm going to flip a cog. Um so don't ground me. Is that I'm I'm trying to understand the 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 reason behind that defense. Well, I mean, I think we're basically in a sort of hostage taking scenario. Yeah. Uh, what they're what they're effectively saying is, 
uh, nice country you've got there. It would be a shame if something were to happen to it. Uh, better not uh, do anything uh, to uh, our friend uh, President Trump or else uh, you'll get it. I think that's basically where we've ended up. Uh, and, you know, r- Republicans are enmeshed in a sort of 24-hour bombardment of this sort of fairly naked incitement uh, people claiming that uh, the government is corrupt, the FBI is the German Stasi, um, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Uh, they've managed to convince them. This is really a, a remarkable thing. They've managed to convince themselves that the FBI, the FBI is like a bastion of the left. It's very, very yeah. strange. Uh, but that's, I guess, what you have to do if you don't want to acknowledge that it's possible that Donald Trump might have done something uh, a little bit shady. The, uh, the just, FBI headed by a Trump appointee, by the way. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the sort of the, the theory that they are, have, are coming up with is that uh, this is all politicized. And the, the reason they know it's politicized it's, is that uh, these investigations uh, into Donald Trump and his allies keep uh, – resulting in indictments where the investigations into uh, people like Hillary Clinton uh, and Hunter Biden have not. But the through line through all those investigations is Republicans, Republican heads of the FBI, Republican Mm. uh, special counsels, Republican U.S. attorneys uh, conducting all these investigations. they end up uh, doing a sort of no true Scotsman thing where uh, the fact that uh, the investigations aren't going the way Donald Trump would like indicates that the people running them aren't real Republicans. Um, But it's really just so pernicious, so poisonous to the idea of equal justice under the law and basic due process. Um, And I just, you know, you have Lindsey Graham today saying well, if Jack Smith indicts Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. Uh, over the January 6th insurrection, then Republicans aren't going to buy that because, you know, <laughs> Republicans can't get a fair jury in Washington, D.C. I mean, are you kidding? So we can't have like any you can do whatever you want if you're a Republican in Washington, D.C. And, and you just won't get you shouldn't get prosecuted because Republicans won't believe it because their media and their politicians will tell them that it's not legit. I mean, come on. Oh, well, I need the Republicans to get on the same page on that anyway. Uh, Either Lindsey Graham thinks he can't get, they can't get a fair trial in DC for January 6th, or it was Antifa and BLM who was, you know, pulling that off and, and, and ginning that up. That's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying uh, from right here in Georgia. I just need them to get on the same page on that before I can even discuss how we're going to give them a fair trial for January 6th. Um, we're with Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. I have to ask you if this is legit or not. Somebody sent this in my inbox, and I hate to do this to you. It was a, it was a, a, a graph that looks like a Chiron at the bottom of a Fox News broadcast. Split screen, Trump at one dais, Biden at the other. And the Chiron says, wannabe dictator speaks at the White House after having his political rival arrested. Is, that, is this legit? Did that really that happen on Fox real. News? Yes, that, that aired I, this looks, last night. That aired last night at the end of the 8 p.m. hour, um, and you know Fox News has taken a bunch of heat for this. They've since put out a statement saying that uh, the Chiron was immediately taken down, which 
Of course it was. The show was over. Like, uh, yeah. Of course the Chiron was taken down. They always and do it. It had been like some. It had been uh, raised or something like that. So with whom and with what consequence, God only knows. But they at least want the public to think that they did not. That, that, that they don't approve of referring to Biden as a wannabe dictator. Well, but that isn't, I mean, the sort of, I think there's a, there's a key narrative embedded in that crazy Chiron, which is the idea that uh, Joe Biden is somehow, uh, you know, creating this indictment into Trump. And this, I think, is not only very wrong, but kind of ignores all of the actual details of the investigation. Again, we're talking about a probe that was launched by the Republican Trump appointee FBI director. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then once Donald Trump announced for president, you had Merrick Garland put the uh, probe under the auspices of Jack Smith, mm-hmm. uh, who is a sort of lifetime political corruption uh, prosecutor who's gone after people in, in both parties. Mm-hmm. So the, you've got Joe Biden. Joe Biden uh, has uh, apparently said that he found out about the, the charges uh, from news reports, and he has reportedly said that he doesn't want the DNC or his reelection campaign to touch this in any way. And they, they don't really to. seem to have done so. They don't need but, to. But I mean, but I mean, these are the sort of steps that are being taken in order to preserve the legitimacy uh, of the prosecution, and they just get no credit whatsoever for doing that uh, from these people who are just sort of assuming that if the Justice Department does something. It must be sort of at the whim of the president. I think you can you can draw a connection there between uh, how they are now talking about uh, how the Justice Department operates and the way that Donald Trump would have liked the Justice Department to operate during his presidency. He thinks of the Justice Department as sort of an arm of the president. He wanted the Justice Department to prosecute his enemies and mm-hmm. protect his friends. And when it did not do so... He became infuriated uh, because these uh, conspiracy theories that he would see on Fox News and and demand be probed uh, really never amounted to anything. Once again, the Republicans, uh, investigators and prosecutors looked into them. Um, So that that's I I think the situation we are in now is. you have Republicans more or less rejecting basic ideas about how the justice system is supposed to function uh, because the justice system is not uh, working out well for Donald Trump. It's crazy to me how how conservatives can embrace the back the blue culture and uh, don't break the law and you won't have to face. You know, uh, Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes in front of a, a convenience store on a sidewalk in New York City. And their reaction was, well, don't break the law and you won't have to face law enforcement. And then they have they have kid gloves for Donald Trump with all this evidence, uh, audible and visual evidence that shows he was storing crap in a bathroom with two chandeliers above it. But. I, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to connect the dissonance here, and I just. To me, it, it just comes down to. Well, this is our guy, and Eric Garner wasn't, so we're going to go with our guy. I, I think that's more or less correct. I mean, they've basically decided that if the law is punishing Donald Trump, it is uh, corrupt and illegitimate because Donald Trump would do nothing wrong. Right. Uh, and, and that's just sort of where we are. 
Um, well, let's remember he bragged. He openly bragged he could shoot a man in broad daylight and get away. And he, his base is proving I, it to I, be true. Yeah. I think that is correct. I mean, that's really like the only shoe left to drop would be if he actually shot someone publicly. Um, and, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to find a way to make excuses for that. But at this point, I don't really know. So we're with senior fellow Matt Gertz from Media Matters for America, mediamatters.org. Great website. They're fantastic follow on social media as well when you want to stay atop of the spin that's coming from the right and how to combat it. Fox, by the way, coming for your money because Dominion came for theirs and there'll be other lawsuits that'll come for more of their money. They're going to come for your money as well because they're going to hit up your cable provider, your streaming provider, your satellite provider and want some more money. So be on the lookout for that as well. You guys are on top of that story, by the way. Well, thank you very much. We've been, uh, you know, I think banging the drum on that before anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think we're going to have some success with this one. Just the simple fact that Fox's ratings are still uh, so diminished mm-hmm. um, over the last six weeks after the Dominion case and firing uh, Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can't make a case that they have strong ratings that deserve inflated uh, prices, that they're going to have trouble, uh, you know, but getting the Brinks truck full of money that they want out of these cable carriers. But by God, they're they're trying. They're trying to win over that MAGA base that they they had some support peel off from by getting right back on the Trump train with the again the the Chiron <laughs> talks about the wannabe dictator uh, speaking live from the White House. What I love is that this this is a split a split camera with 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 Biden on one side, Trump on the other, and the words wannabe dictator below them, and they're not talking about Donald Trump. That's what's so crazy about that. I wanted to ask you, there is some peel-off in the GOP. We're seeing, I want to know, if you are aware of this, is Fox giving the Chris Christie's and the Nikki Haley's and the Mike Pompeo's and the Bill Barr's, are they getting any airtime to speak what they're saying on other networks? Because they've all but said, this looks bad for Donald Trump. It looks like he's guilty of some stuff, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, not very much. That is not really the audience they want to be making that case to yet, I guess, uh, or or it's unclear whether Fox wants it to happen. Bill Barr uh, has been on Fox making that case. But what you tend to see um, with uh, sort of his uh, brand of, of legal uh, guy, uh, you, you see them going on shows like Fox News Sunday or yeah. the daytime hours and being critical there. Fox mm-hmm. is a little bit more willing to have people on criticizing Trump during those hours, but then primetime rolls yeah. around and it's all sycophants and cronies. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've been watching the Chris Christie stuff of late. I saw his town hall the other night. I don't know if you got to watch that as well. I actually came away almost kind of enamored with the guy in some respects because I think he uses a lot of phraseology and arguments that needs to come from the left as well. Did you watch that town hall? I didn't, no. Well, it's because it wasn't on Fox News, and I know that's your your primary job. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just thought that was pretty interesting. I've, I, I came away going, you know, I wouldn't be crying in my towel if that guy wound up being the nominee for the GOP and somehow pulled off a, a win at some point. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't be as alarming to me because I feel like that's a guy that, the left could somewhat work with, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll stick to the topic here. We're with Matt Gertz, senior fellows, a uh, senior fellow at Media Matters for America. That is mediamatters.org. and they are of course in charge of watching the right wing meltdown over the Trump indictments. So we're we're also hearing that th- this could put a pause on things that are happening in New York, uh, in D.C. as well, and here in Atlanta, where uh, District Attorney Fonnie Willis is uh, talking about leveling some charges in August. W- what are you hearing about that? 
I'm not hearing anything other than what I'm seeing on my television, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know how well they can really line these things up. The problem is going to be more on the Trump lawyer side, right? Like whether they can amass enough lawyers to uh, actually defend him in all of these cases at the same time. Uh, he's not uh, the, the the easiest client to work with, as can be seen by the uh, you know the lawyers who are now uh, witnesses to yeah, his yeah. Uh, alleged crimes yeah. in the uh, in the documents case. Yeah. Um, he's also not great about paying lawyers, yeah. and particularly lawyers like getting in, paid, man. Yeah, particularly in the documents case, the lawyers need. Uh, really, uh, they, they need high level security clearances. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're running the, out. The shadier types that Trump tends to associate with uh, <laughs> probably can't get those. So it's it's going to be a, a, a dicey situation. All of these uh, investigations, prosecutions uh, coming together, uh, it's going to be. Uh, kind of a mess, I think. <laughs> Matt Gert, Senior Fellows, Media Matters for America. You guys have been watching Right Wing Media. It's been a lot of fun of late, and uh, I appreciate you guys for doing it so that we don't have to. Thanks for joining me on The Ron Show today. Thanks for having me. Back after this on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show, final segment. This will be somewhat light, but there's a correlation, I promise you. I um watch good television. Like, I literally seek out good television. I try to avoid junk. I really do. I don't watch a whole lot of cop dramas, uh, Will Trent being the exception. And it's filmed in and around Atlanta, so I'm sort of interested, and it's compelling enough that it keeps me. Uh, Outside of that, I don't watch a whole lot of the network TV schlock, but the stuff that goes up for primetime Emmys, oh, I'm all over that stuff. That's why I Watch Succession. I was late to the game. I'm not going to lie. I was late to the game on Succession. But I did watch the first season just before the second season came out. And then, of course, I watched the third and final season. And uh, I started watching this new series that HBO put out called The Idol, which on the surface looks like it's sort of biographical, following maybe a little Britney Spears-ish. And maybe there are folks who just kind of lazily say that, myself included, because the lead character is a female pop star who kind of looks a little bit like Britney Spears. And the character's name is Jocelyn, by the way, and she is brilliantly, brilliantly played by Lily Rose Depp. And I'm guessing that Kevin Federline in this story is played by The Weeknd, this club guy, sleazy club guy named Tedros, who likes to pick up artists and manage them, but he's sort of infiltrating Jocelyn's inner circle. She is a pop starlet whose mother passed away, and she's got all these bootlicking yes people all surrounding her to protect her from the realities of the world. Like, there was a, 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 a picture that went viral of her after someone had pleasured himself on her face. And... Apparently, she took the picture, but it got out. She was trending number one on Twitter. They didn't want her to know that, so they kept that from her, and they coddled her. And she just has this reality that isn't reality because no one allows reality to come to her. Anyone who thinks, by the way, that this show, The Idol and Succession, don't correlate, 
They're just not paying attention. They're both textbook guides that answer how the world nets us characters like Donald Trump, and Kanye West, etc., and so on. I know it's supposed to be a pseudo-Britney Spears narrative, but pay attention to these yes people around the central character Jocelyn and the clingers around the Roy family in succession. Logan, and then Kendall, Roman, Shiv, Connor, Connor, who ran for president. I mean, there are too few of these lapdog yes people around any of these central characters existing that point out reality versus the fiction that these characters much prefer believing is real. Is it entertaining? Oh, absolutely. It's it's uncanny to watch these shows give us a, a peek behind the scenes. And look, it's Hollywood, so maybe it's not as real as the storyline wants us to believe it is. But understand that writers use a lot of folks in the know in the industry of the storyline to keep it as real as possible. Like if it was a baseball drama, they would hire someone who used to work in major league baseball and kind of ask them, Hey, is this how it goes? Is this how it works? They do that with military uh, storylines. They, they bring in experts. They do. They just, they, they kind of, they count on experts to kind of give you enough of a real sense of what's going on so that it's close enough to reality that the experts can't go, well, this is insane. That doesn't really happen. So what I'm saying is, is there a hint of truth to succession storyline? The cable TV, conservative cable TV news network that tries to drive the narrative in the direction of ownership's will? Uh, duh. (laughs) Are there super wealthy, not very bright, not socially acceptably acting type youngsters who are coddled all through life and are made to be successful because they won the born wealthy lottery. Uh, duh. And in the idols case, are there not entertainers, actors, actresses, pop stars, musicians of all sort who really want to give us their hot take on social issues, but they haven't been part of society much of their professional existence to know how society does and doesn't act or react to things. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely entertaining to watch shows like The Idol or Succession. Is it dangerous to society? What, the shows? No, I I, I like the shows. I think they're, they're highly entertaining. And, and, and these aren't the only shows that exist that kind of give us a behind-the-scenes peek at how rich people act. Now, look, I grew up watching Dallas and Knott's Landing. And what was the other one? Uh, uh, what was the one that was on uh, ABC? Dynasty. Do I think wealthy people literally sling drinks in each other's faces and bitch-slap each other so violently and dramatically? No. No, of course not. But I do think there's a certain amount of fixation that American culture has on seeing how these people really are that I think Hollywood's gotten better at giving us an idea how they really are. No, I'm saying what's dangerous to society isn't that Hollywood keeps cranking out these type of series. I'm talking about the kind of people that they're basing these stories on. Are they dangerous to society? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a Connor Roy running for president. Kanye West wants to run for president again. And we think that's absolutely batshit crazy. But when a guy who, again, won the Born Wealthy Lottery is a professional and business leadership failure, a con artist, and yet is given a life preserver when a network gives him a reality TV show for a few seasons to give off the appearance that he's some savvy, trigger-pulling executive who pulls all the right levers and pushes all the right buttons to get other celebrity bootlickers to do what he thinks is right. When that guy decides to run for president, coming down the gilded escalator, there were enough people fooled by it that wound up netting him a nomination of a major political party. And then, by an electoral college freak of nature, the actual presidency. And what became of that? Economic calamity, COVID-19, fighting in the streets, the Proud Boys, white nationalism, etc. and so on. Look at Hollywood reminding us just how far a coddled brat can go. That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thanks for listening.